0: shalom from ashdod my name is israel Potter. i'm a pastor of bethel congregation and we are here at the new building of the congregation that's a miracle here in the city of ashdod we have so many people and it's first messianic first christian building in the city that's make a big difference because hundreds of people will be trained in this place they will worship yeshua jesus uh, daily young people will come here to preach the gospel, to train and to grow up and to bring the gospel back to the land of Israel. I really appreciate your help, because together, building this house, we're preparing a place for the revival in the land of Israel. We sent a number of people as a missionaries from Ashdod, and they planted new congregations in different cities. And now it's a time to build a big, significant center of training, of worship a place of help and hope for Israelis. So join hands with us and let's build together house of the Lord and let's change lives of next generation. Young people, kids, non-believer youth from the city, all of them they are coming to us and they're going to come to this new building to meet with Jesus. I'm very excited to see what God is doing today, and I'm happy to have you as friend and partner who praying, who giving, who's standing with us. So we're doing that together with you. Thank you very much for your support, for your prayers, and together we're making a difference.
1: Praise the Lord. Well, bless the Lord. Listen, I, I, I wanted to show you that today. I, I met him several years ago at a Gateway Conference. Uh, we support him every month, our missions fund. And last December, we gave them $5,000 towards their building. So that wasn't from my big checking account. That was from all of us. Actually, last year, if I could report to you, last year we gave over $530,000 to help people and expand the gospel around the world. $530,000. That's $14.55 a day, over $10,000 a week. No staff salaries in that, no overhead. It's doing what the church does. It's missions locally and around the world. And uh, that happens because all of us are working together to do that. Someone asked me, of course, we're, we're in the process of expanding our building. need about $3 million. They said, well, why don't you just save that money and just use it here? Well, listen, I believe we're blessed because we are a blessing. Are you with me today? There's a mentality to just hold on, and let me know if you hold on, you begin. You have to take care of yourself, and we want God to be able to continue His blessing in our life. Uh, Acts chapter 20. I want you to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, Before I do that, I want to show you a little, uh, a little quick uh, video from a dear, dear person in my life, my grandson. Now, I don't know if you know what he said. I know exactly what he said. He said, I miss you, pops. He said, I wish I didn't have to live in Rogers. I wish I could live in Texas. Would you please come and get me? So that's, that's kind of what he was saying, in case you missed that. And let me show you a picture. We're in a series called Pursuit. It's a New Year series trying to help you and your, orient your spiritual life to spiritual priorities. And the Christian life is not like water skiing or snow skiing, but it, it's like climbing a mountain. We're in this together. We're going somewhere. There's deliberateness. It's not always easy. Uh, And in this series, Pursuit, we talked about the pursuit of discipleship. It's the mindset that I have. I'm more than a believer, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We talk most importantly about our pursuit of God, the fact that God wants to be more real to us, our relationship with Him to be closer. Last week, we talked about the pursuit of significance, Uh, It was simply a contrast between the temporary things of this life and the eternal world that we aspire to live in. Well, this morning, I want to tie together our spiritual world and our material world because you can't separate the two. And I want to talk about the pursuit of a blessed life. Uh, Everyone in this room today wants to have a blessed life. We want to have a blessed life just in terms of our economic world. I mean, everybody wants to prosper on their job. We want our our company to do well. Uh, We want to be able to care for our family's needs, have some fun, and be able to share and help other people. This is a part of it, but the blessed life is broader than that. The blessed life implies that I have peace in my life, that my family is strong and healthy. Uh, It's just a sense that God's hand is upon my life. Now I want to read from you Acts chapter 20. Paul the Apostle shared these words that I will use as a foundation for this series, The Blessed Life, or this message today. Uh, The Apostle Paul said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 verse 34. He said, you know, these hands of mine have worked. I'm sorry, iPad jumped around on me. These hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and the needs of those who were with me. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by, see this means, not that my ears are itching, I want you to tell me what's on the screen, working hard. So uh, work is God's idea. Uh, It's not a punishment. Uh, I read recently that our government's going to start attaching for the able-bodied, the responsibility to work for those that are receiving benefits. That's a good thing. That's not punishing people. Work is the means whereby God uses to provide for us, to bless us, uh, to give us a sense of esteem and value for our life. But Paul said, I didn't just use it for myself, but I use it to help other people. Now next week I'm going to talk about the pursuit of generosity. The next phrase he said, he said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul did exactly that. Paul worked hard, he made money, and he was able to help people. So next week I'm going to talk about the pursuit of generosity and show you how just generosity should be a part of our lifestyle. Uh, Helping people, giving, like you teach your kids to share. Uh, how many know, after Pentecost, there were thousands of believers that had come to Christ. And guess what? The people helped them. They shared with the believers. that it was It's a way of life. But this morning, I want to focus on that phrase that Jesus gave when he said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to talk about where our spiritual life and our material world uh, meet. I want to talk about how your giving to the work of God Uh, makes a difference in your spiritual life, how it helps us to align ourselves with this pathway to a blessed life. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, I want to look at the words of Jesus, because Jesus gives gives us a contrast between storing treasures on earth and storing treasures in heaven. Interesting verse, he said, don't store up treasures here on earth. And then he looks at our closet and he says that wool sweater in there, if it's not treated properly, the moth will eat a hole in it. The rust will destroy it. I don't care how nice that zero-turn lawnmower you got from John Deere last year, how nice it was. But let me know, after you cut in September, if you left it in the yard since September, that ethanol gas is messing up the motor and the rain's messing up and it's going to rust. It's a picture of temporary things of life on this earth. Uh, the moths, the rust, thieves break in and steal. But here's the contrast. He said, store your treasures in heaven. Now, I wish he would have given us more explanation. I wish he would have told me how many many shirts in my closet is normal and at what point my long line of shirts become treasure. Uh, It probably applies to shirts. I don't think it applies to one more turkey decoy. It could. But somewhere, Jesus is saying, I want you to find a balance between life on earth and eternal things. And he's going to show us this secret here, because verse 21 is the key verse. It said, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Another translation says, your heart will always be where your riches are. In other words, wherever you invest your money, that's where your passion is going to be. If I go out and buy a new turkey gun, if I arrange three trips to go turkey hunting, and I, nothing wrong with turkey hunting, I hope, but no, it's not. <laughs> but if I put all my money there, guess what? My passion is going there. But guess what? If I put my money on the missions field, people, people often tell me, I just don't have any desire for the missions field. I say, put some treasure there. Yeah. Do something to help someone there. Do something to bless a missionary, plan a church. Fund an orphanage, and you'll find that your heart is following your money. Because here's the great challenge. You remember what Jesus said was the most important scripture in the whole Bible? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Well, how many know I can't love God with all my heart if money has its wrongful place in my life? And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's certainly not saying money is a bad thing, but what he's saying is is we've got to be careful because it can focus us too much on the temporary. See, Jesus deserves our first and best and, and Paul warned us about this. In 1 Timothy 6:10, Paul said it's the love of money that causes all kinds of evil. Now, I got to be honest with you. I've been a Christian 40 some years. Tell your neighbor he doesn't look that old must have got saved when he was young. (laughs) I've been a Christian 40 years. I've been a giver. I've been a tither. I give offerings for 40 years. I don't know what it means to love money. I'm getting older in life. Two of my kids are gone. I have more in life. I can buy more. I can do more things and have more fun. And I honestly don't know where to draw the line. So I want to be a little vulnerable with you today, but I want to challenge you about the very things that I think about. I want to know what it means to enjoy life on this earth. Because don't forget, Jesus talked to us and said that it was, it was good to enjoy things. We read last week, He came that we might have an abundant life and enjoy it to the fullest. But there's a balance between the temporary and the eternal. And this is what I'm focusing on today. Uh, Jesus said, basically, we'll never experience the blessed life if money is important with God more important than God. Verse 24, he reiterated and said, No one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other, but more understandable, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he said this startling phrase, You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, he didn't, he, he didn't say it's hard to. He said it's just impossible because one is going to rule. It's like being on a, if you can imagine, a pier. Uh, and you got your you know your duck hunting boat there and one foot's on the boat and one foot's on the pier and your buddy's ready to go and you left something over there and and, and, and the boat is starting to slip but you don't know which way to go and you can only go so far See I bet you didn't think I could do that. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees pursued treasures on earth. They were, they were religious, but they loved money and in spiritual darkness. They were slaves to the master of greed, and they failed to serve the true master, which was God Himself. You know, the Pharisees crucified Jesus in the Bible so they loved money. So what you and I are looking for is the right mix of the temporary and the eternal. I never ever want you to feel guilty if God blesses you and he's able to do some nice things for your family, buy a nice car, you know, all the things that we long to do in life, but make sure that money doesn't occupy an unlawful place. You see, as we get this priority right, we set ourselves up for what I'm calling the blessed life. You get yourself in a place where God will not only give you money, but he'll give you those things that money cannot buy. Jesus made this incredible promise in Luke six thirty eight about this generous lifestyle. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Jesus said, you'll be given much, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. Jesus said, the way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Now, listen, not a gimmick, but it's a way of life. The, generous li- the, the blessed life is a generous life. It's a life that rather than living like that, it opens its hands that way. Now, I want to spend the next few minutes sharing a, on a personal level, but I think it applies to all of us, what motivates us as a Christian to be givers. What motivates me specifically to give to the work of the Lord, my tithe and my offering. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about generosity as a lifestyle, not just giving to God's work, but just sharing about, you know, how much we tip, about, about, about caring for people as just a way of life, not because we have to, but it's just a part of our, our makeup. How I many know oh, God is a giver? For God so loved the world that he... Yeah, but I don't know about you, but I have a stingy side to me. Anybody else? Oh, you're so holy out there today. In the first service, about half fessed up. Uh, my sister has the audacity to tell me that I used to be stingy. She said, when we were kids and we used to go to Memphis and we'd go to McDonald's, I would conveniently forget my money at home. I just thought that was good stewardship with your sister, but, but she tells me I was, I was stingy. Let me tell you what motivates me. Um, the first and most important thing, Genesis chapter 28, is when I give to the work of the Lord... I give to honor and thank him for his goodness to me. And I think this undergirds everything about our attitude here. Let me tell you a story. It's about Jacob. Jacob was one of the most famous people of the Bible. The nation of Israel today, right now, our our president. We are talking about moving the embassy, uh, our, our nation's embassy, to Jerusalem. Palestinians, their arms are up in the air. But how many know Christianity started in a city called Jerusalem? How many know God, even in the book of Revelation, has something to do with this nation of Israel? Well, this Israel, the nation, was named after a man named Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel after he had an encounter with God. So read with me the book of Genesis. Again, we're thinking about thanks and honor in our giving. Matthew or, or Genesis 28, Jacob awoke, awoke from his sleep. Now here's the problem. He, he, Jacob uh, was a conniver. Jacob figured out how to crook his brother. He stole his birthright. He stole the blessing, and his brother got so mad he was going to kill him. And Jacob did what you and I would probably do. What most people that are caught do, he ran away. So now he's running away, and he wakes up from a dream, and God had spoken to him in the night. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Now he's not in a church building, he's not in the temple, he's outside. He wakes up and he realizes God's there. In verse 18, he had slept near a stone or a rock and he took the stone he rested his head against and he set it as a memorial pillar, not as an idol to worship, but as a reminder. In verse 20, Jacob made a vow or a promise. And he said, God, if you will be with me and protect me on my journey, if you'll provide for me, If you'll give me food and clothing, if you'll return safe, help me return safely to my father's home, then you will certainly be my God. In other words, at this time he was, he knew about God, but he didn't have relationship with God. Jacob was a guy like many of us that I was raised in church. Grateful that mom made me go, but how many know that doesn't make you a Christian, and that doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Well, Jacob basically said this: Lord, if you'll let me live the blessed life. I'll say thank you. If you'll protect me and provide for me, I will honor you. And notice what he said, verse 22. This memorial, this stone I've set up is going to be a place for worshiping God. Again, I'm not going to worship the rock, but I'm going to come back to this place periodically, and I'm going to meet with you. And then he says the oddest thing. He said, I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Now, why in the world would he do that? A tenth that's called a tithe. There was no law. The law of Moses that, that made it a law, per se, later on, was, was not yet written. But he said, God, I'll give you a tenth. Um, I want to suggest to you again, Jacob is saying, if you let me live the blessed life, I'll honor you with my wealth. And it is the greatest motivation for anything you give to the work of the Lord to say thank you and to honor God. Now, again, the blessed life is not just a life with more money. Let I me mean, you know the blessed life, if you have your health, you're blessed. I mean, know if you have a solid marriage, you're blessed. I mean, know if your children love you when they get old, you're blessed. If there's peace in your home when they're young, you're blessed. I mean, know when you have your grandchildren, you're able to, to build them a, a playhouse for Christmas. I mean, know you're a blessed man. So when I talk about a blessed life, I'm not just talking about money, but I'm talking about things that money can't buy. And this is what Jacob began to see, but, but he honored God. You know, Jacob learned this from his grandfather Abraham. Abraham, when God used him to rescue his nephew Lot and he won a victory, he turned around and gave a tithe of it to a priest named Melchizedek. But before a law was commanded it, he honored and thanked God. Now, here's a question I I often wonder. why Why did Jacob promise to give God a tenth? Now, first of all, God didn't need his money any more than he needs my money or your debit card. How many know God doesn't need that? We appreciate it in terms of what we do. It allows the ministry of this church to go forwards. We appreciate it deeply. But God doesn't need it. I need to give. And I need to give in a way that is significant enough to affect my life. When I give a dollar, listen, I'll drop a dollar. I'm going to say some things about my own life today, not to draw attention to myself, but hopefully to be an example to you. I try to, I, I, whatever dollars are left in my billfold at the end of the week, whether it's one or six, I put them in that, in that little globe over there. But that doesn't hurt the way I live at all. How I many you know if you break a 20 today, it's really all gone? Maybe even if you break a hundred in today's world, I mean, with inflation, I mean, money just did. But, but but a dollar doesn't do much. I, I've taught my kids, children to tithe when they were little off birthday money and babysitting and all that, but when they would go up to Sunday school, I'd give them a dollar, and my lifestyle didn't change a bit. I mean, I still would do things. But my tithe is different. If I make $100 and tithe $10, that's substantive for a teenager. If I make $10,000 and tithe $1,000, that's a whack. When I write my tithe check twice a month, I look at it and I think, that'd be a nice car payment. And it does something to my heart. It makes me prioritize God above my temporal world like nothing else that I could tell you. But it also makes me trust God more to make me realize that I still need a car or whatever the case may be. So God's going to have to help me, come on now, to do more with the 90 that I can do with the 100. And this is where the blessed life kicks in because it opens the windows of heaven for God to be able to bless us. This is a big thing, but honor and thanks are at the heart of it. And I hope that that is the bottom line kind of for you. But the second motivation that I have for giving to the Lord and the Lord's work... I give in obedience to God. Now, I don't always feel thankful and honorable. When I'm in a financial pickle, I grumble a little bit. How about you? If times are a little tight and I look at that tithe and I say, what in the world does the church need this for? You holy people in the second service have never thought anything like that. I give an obedience to God. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30. Now, now we've moved from Jacob and Abraham who gave to honor and thanks to Moses codifies or makes a law of what God is due. Leviticus twenty-seven, thirty says a tenth of everything, a tithe from the land, whether it's grain or fruit, they were farmers, it belongs to the Lord. This word belongs is central and then it says it is holy to the Lord. That phrase, it's holy to the Lord, what would you do if after communion, let's just say, for example, I see a communion tray left up there. What would you do if some kids uh, uh, you saw playing in the sanctuary after church and they took the bread in there and said, I'm hungry, let's eat it. You'd go over there and you'd say, stop them. Say, no, that was communion today. The Catholics even take that a step farther. And if you've ever been to a Catholic church in communion, the priest would drink whatever's left in the cup, and he'd take a white linen cloth and wipe it out because uh, because the the blood of Christ, what it represents, is so sacred. It's a holy thing, the tithe, and it belongs to the Lord. Holy means set apart, that it's not mine. So I don't give my tithe. I return it to the Lord. See, the tithe doesn't belong to me. I return it to the Lord. The tithe establishes who's boss in my life. And I'll tell you my own practice. I still use the debit, I mean, still use the the bank little ATM machines to get cash. But before I put my check in that little thing that gobbles it up, I say, Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. It's It's a ritual for me. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. And then I turn, the first check I write is my tithe, whether it's a Tuesday or a Monday, and I don't give it till Sunday, because it's all about the heart. Come on now, it's not about dollars and cents. It's not about tax deductions with the IRS. It's about honoring God in our heart. It belongs to the Lord, and I live this way whether I feel like it or not. Now, we've talked about Jacob who gave for honor and thanks. Moses talked about the law, but you know Jesus even affirmed this practice of tithing. In Luke 11:42, 42, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, and it's a rebuke. But he says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? And then he said this. It's kind of comical. But he says, you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. In other words, when you make iced tea and you like mint in it, you count off ten leaves and you put one of them into the tithe basket. I mean, they were that meticulous. And Jesus said this, sadly, you ignore justice and the love of God. In other words, there's some religious act you're doing, but there's something more important than you're missing. And then Jesus settled the issue for me. Jesus said, you you should tithe. Yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Money to him was secondary. Now let me give you the third reason that I I give to God's work. This is probably the, the funnest one for me. Is I give in response to a need or an opportunity. Next week I'll share a little bit more. Probably the most exciting thing I've given to lately was uh, Linnell and a group are going to Burma and we're helping an orphanage over there and she said there's 50 kids she said "Uh, uh, they need some help can we feed them for a month can we buy them a generator because they can't cook their food the electricity is so out of whack that's 3800 dollars that's from you that we're sending but then this is what she said we want to adopt these kids she said 75 bucks because these kids sleep on the floor now, I don't know about you, but I've got a tempur knockoff, and it's about that thick. And last night, I slept with my window open, and it was cold. And I pulled up this down blanket that's about that thick. And I said, honey, do I have to go to church this morning? It's cold in here. And that's how I slept. But then she said, we can buy him a bed. We can buy him clothes for school and something else. And that excited. I got a little picture of the little boy. So there's things that come across our world like that that makes us excited. Let me, let me give you an example in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul, it, it, all the churches that he planted in the Mediterranean world, he recognized a spiritual debt that the Gentiles owe to the Jews. And, and that's where, because that's where Christianity started. And Jesus was a Jew. So he's receiving an offering. There was a prophet named Agabus, and Agabus prophesied that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem that had happened. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, uh, we, we jump in the story. And Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he tells them about Macedonians. Here's the story. I want you to know what God has done through the churches in Macedonia. Notice what it says. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are... Now, when we think very poor in our culture... There's a, there's a stigma that's there, but you're a victim. And you're a helpless victim, is how we kind of view this idea in America. But I want you to see this, the strangest thing. They're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Poor people, joyful and generous. You say, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. You know, I'm 60 years of old, old and I think most people that I've ever met Whatever they want to do in life, they really do. And whatever they want to buy, they find a way to do it. I'll just throw that out there. They're filled with abundant joy, but they're in rich generosity. They gave not only what they could afford, but more. And again, there's no ushers at the back of the service with buckets, okay? I don't have any agenda in this today, but I want to help you see the joy that can come from giving Notice what it said, verse four. They begged. Oh, first of all, they, they 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 did it of their own free will. Nobody forced them to do it, but they begged us again and again for the what privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And here's the key, verse five. They didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, they prayed about it, and the Lord said yes, and then they gave themselves to that particular need. You know, these kind of things happen all the time, sometimes in smaller ways, some in larger ways. Um, I have a friend, we have people from our church, and they go to a sister church in Haiti. And we go there usually a time or two a year, and we'll often do conferences, but we build churches and things down there. Well, this person came back and they said, I think we need to build an orphanage down there. And Brother Jay was talking about it. Uh, Now, Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And I said, Well, that's a good idea. Well, uh, a few months later, another person gives $5,000 toward an orphanage in Haiti. And I called Pastor Jay, and he said, Well, that's great. He said, It's going to cost $60,000. Uh, uh, but, well, we could just give that 5000 to another orphanage that's here. And I talked to this person about it, and we both kind of got excited. And we said, Well, why don't we just sponsor this as our church? Why don't we just take on, and why don't we, not for our good glory now, okay? But why don't we just do something to help some people around the world? And we both got excited about it. Now, how me know, you don't always, though, get excited when God asks you to do something. Has anybody found that you had something in your life where you felt the Lord nudge you and you said, no, 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 no. I'll tell you a true story. It's a funny story on the preacher here. It doesn't happen very often, but this is a true story. A few years ago, somebody gave me a $100 bill at Christmas. I was excited because I'd probably just got my Max Prairie Wings catalog or my Cabello's or my Bass Pro catalog, and I knew the exact gimmick that I wanted. Now, look, you can pay your tithe. You still got, you could do a lot with $90. I made the mistake of going to a prayer meeting on a Thursday morning. It was a pastor's prayer meeting. I had just some of my friends, and we'd pray for each other. And uh, uh, one of my pastor friends talked about his wife. She had a problem. Had to go to Houston for surgery. He didn't ask for a thing. He just said, I need you all to pray for me. I got kids in school and it's a lot of pressure. And I heard this voice. Give them $100. Because it's still in my billfold. I said what you would probably say. Get behind me, Satan, because you value not the things of John, but the things of. I didn't say that, but you know what I did? Hey, guess what I did? Buttoned up my pocket and went home. Now, I don't know if I buttoned my pocket, but I did go home, and I was tormented for three days. Tormented. It was like I'd look at that Prairie wing catalog and it was on fire, and it wasn't a holy fire. True story. And I remember after about three days, I got an envelope and put it in it. Found out where he lived and went by his mailbox and put it in it. Now listen, I didn't blow the horn. Because I mean our giving is supposed to be at least a portion of it in secret. Jesus said, "Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing." When I put it in that envelope, I cannot tell you how good I felt when I drove away from his house. because I'd done so. I wish I'd have had that same feeling earlier on, but how many know your poor pastor is growing in the grace of God and the grace of giving, unlike those that are in my presence today. So God bless God bless everybody. Let me close with the last one. I give to honor and thank God. I, I give in obedience. I give for need or opportunity, particularly when the Holy Spirit nudges. But I also give in anticipation of a promised blessing. Now stay with me on this one because here's where God promises to bless the giver. You remember in Luke 6:38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given unto you. Listen to what he said in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, and it's the oddest statement. The prophet Malachi wrote it. How would you like for you to receive a letter like this? Should people cheat or rob God? Now, where did that concept come from? Remember Leviticus that the tithe belongs to the Lord? Well, they're robbing God. You've cheated me. But you say, when did we ever cheat you? And God said this, you cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that are due to me. That's a kind of a scary thought there. Again, the tithe belongs to God. Sometimes God requires offerings of us that I should do just because I'm a Christian. But verse 9, you're under a curse. It's the opposite of the blessed life. The whole nation has been cheating me. And here's the solution, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be food or provision in my temple. In other words, that was the Old Testament gathering place. It's like the New Testament church. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. And if you do, here's God's promise. I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. And the only time I know this is said in the Bible, when God says, try me and put me to the test. In other words, what God is saying is, I want to bless your life, but I want you to take the first step. Take it in honor, take it in obedience, but I want to bless the the fruit of your hands. Because generosity, two minus one equals one in traditional math, but when God's upon it, two minus one can equal three. Because the God factor can come at work, and God can bless us. Now, let me say a couple things about this. There's a lot of scriptures that tie in God's blessing to giving, but I don't ever think anyone should give because they want God to give them something. I think this truth, truth was misused, particularly in the 90s in Christianity that I was raised in. And it almost became a justification for greed. That if I, that if I give God something, then I'm going to get back more. And conversely, I'll have more for myself. That's an unbiblical reason for giving. I don't ever want to give because I want something from God or for God to do something. But at the flip side, I always want to exercise my faith when I do give. Because if giving, as Scripture says, open the windows of heaven... As Jesus said, it would you know, as you give to others, God will bless you. I want to have faith to believe that. Whenever I, my wife and I tithe, if she's sitting by us, we do two things. We say, thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. And thank you that you promised to prosper us in the days ahead. Because now we have less. We're going to ask you to bless it with more. Now, let me say this to you. This is not a gimmick. Uh, if you're here, I want to encourage you to try this. And if if you're in a place in your life where you say... I'm in a choice between my electric bill and my tithe. I want you to do this. Pay your tithe and let the church pay your electric bill. There you go. If you're in a place with this, because I want you to learn to get an open heaven over your life. Let me say this too about this, the tithing, the giving thing, and the receiving. Don't look for it to happen tomorrow. Giving is not a slot machine. Come on now. A, a God machine where you put in a dime and out comes a dollar. It is not like that. You will have seasons of life just like I will have seasons of life, like the Apostle Paul did. Paul said there were times in his life when he was hungry. For God to provide for us doesn't mean that we're never going to have a financial need or a problem. Listen, we have struggles in life. There's a demon, there's, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's times of pressure in our life. But listen, if you will live your life over time, I promise you, you'll see the blessing of the Lord upon your life. It will be financially, but it will be in ways what money cannot buy. And, and listen, and if you, listen, if you don't believe this, you tithe for two or three months. And if you feel like your life is not better because you honor God, tell me and we'll give every penny back to you. Because I do not want your money. I want your heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. But the wonderful thing, our God's not just trying to take from us so we'll have less. God wants to open the windows of heaven, and God wants to bless us so we can be a blessing to other people. And the blessed life, friends, is not just in a checkbook balance. But I was telling my wife this the other day. We looked at our kids, and we thought, has has God been kind to us or what? I got three kids. None of them got pregnant before they were married. None of them were in jail, to my knowledge. And if one of them was, please don't tell me. They're not addicted to drugs. They're not addicted to alcohol. We like being together. I sent two texts last night. Well, first of all, I, I, I told Rebecca I loved her before she went to bed. John and Bethany are both married. I sent them a little text, and I said, Dad loves you. I miss you. And I get one back this morning when I wake up from Bethany. I love you, Dad. From John. I love you, Dad. That's the blessed life. Amen. The blessed life is a marriage. Thirty, whatever, 35 years, <laughs> and counting, 70 between us. Health, or whatever level of measure of health you enjoy today. This is, and tomorrow not guaranteed. I was duck hunting yesterday with a friend, and there was another guy in the blind, and and uh, unbeknownst to us, he had a little touch of the flu earlier, and uh, uh, it still was affecting him. He went to pick up a duck, and he come back, and he was breathing hard, and uh, we were making fun of him a little bit, but in just a few moments, he just went blink and he passed out and turned white as a sheet, and I thought. My God, somebody died in the duck line. True story. Yeah. So we got the little machine and put him in it and stuff, and he, he wakes back up. We're telling him to breathe, breathe, you know, breathe. And lo and behold, took him to the doctor, and the uh, blood sugar had, had dropped out and, and needed fluids and all that. Thank God he's okay, but it's over. Just like, that. Just like that. Well, how many know if you've had a lifestyle? This is what we talked about last week, and I'll close with this. If my lifestyle is one of every day, every week, every month, I'm investing in the kingdom. I'm doing good things. I'm helping people. I'm giving offerings. I'm sharing my faith. I- I'm living the Christian life. We're storing up treasures that will last for all eternity and how many know when God sees that he does what any father does he smiles on us come on now and he gives us in return the blessed life and that's my prayer for you today friends that Jesus will be first and foremost in everything and he's the one that's worthy of praise come on give him a good hand today I love him why don't you stand to your feet with me and I'd like for us to to close in prayer and as we have this close in prayer Let me just, like I said, next week we're going to continue the pursuit of generosity. I didn't feel I could say it all in one message. Uh, I feel it's so important though. This week we just talked about our giving to God and the work of God. Next week we're going to talk about generosity as a lifestyle. We'll start with that scripture we began with today where Paul worked, two times it said he worked hard, but it was so he could help and share with other people. It's a great blessing. But my friends. I want to encourage you, before you slip out today, we're going to close with a song and we'll give a chance for prayer. But if you don't have an emergency, if you could just kind of hang in your chair till the song is over because there's going to be people that are, you know, making steps to God. And I don't want to distract them in any way. But my prayer for you today, friend, is simply this, that you and I both will be on the path after God, that we'll love Jesus with all our heart, all our mind, soul, and strength, that He'll be first in our financial world, that the eternal will always outweigh the temporary. My friends, I hope you'll join me on this path of a blessed life that our always our giving will be motivated by our honor and our love for God That I'll never forget my obedience That I'll look for those opportunities that I can bless other people and that I'll always have faith to believe that when I'm a blessing to others, God will bless me. Well, Lord, this is our prayer today. Everyone in this room want to live the blessed life. But more importantly, we want to know the blessed one, which is you. Don't ever let me have a relationship with God based on what you can do for me. Let my relationship with you be based on the fact that you love me and you've revealed your son to me. And I said yes, and you adopted me in your family. So I want to pray a blessing over everyone that's here this morning. I ask you to bless each one of us financially. I want to pray that you would smile on us. The Bible says it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. We're told in Deuteronomy that God gives us the power to obtain wealth. My prayer, though, Lord, that when you do, that that wealth never corrupts us and that we never love money more than we love God. Would you bless each one of us on our job? God, would you let us get bonuses and raises and greater responsibility? Would you let us have a good, strong work ethic? Would we have good character? God, if we own a business, would you smile on it? Would you prosper it? Would you recession-proof it? Lord, would you keep it from being affected when others in the industry are going down? Let us go up, simply because of the favor of God on our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front in just a moment. We'll pray with you about anything you might have need of. It could be something the message touched on, or just in general. We try to make a place in all of our services to pray for people. But the most important prayer I'd like to pray today, just a little softer, maybe, on the music. most important prayer I'd like to pray today is if you're here today and you need to commit your life to Christ. Just like that, my friend yesterday, I kind of know him arm's length. I didn't know if he had slipped into eternity just like that. I didn't know if he was right with God or not. See, because here's something I know. You don't go to heaven because you go to church. You go to heaven because of what we remembered in communion. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life and He sacrificed His life for mine. That's what that cross is. That cross is like the payment for sin. It's like jail. It's like the electric chair. And Jesus hung on that cross not for His sins but for mine. And it was a substitutionary death. And that's why the basis of Christianity is based on belief. It's based on faith in God. But then it receives His promise as Savior. Savior. I didn't know this as a boy. I went to church. But I didn't know the scripture that says as many as received him, to those God gave the right or the privilege to become sons of God. If it's Christmas time and your mom lives far away and she says, I got you a present, baby. Well, how many know it's under mom's tree? But unless you go to her house and open it up, you'll never get it. It's the same thing with Christ. We have to make a step to Christ and then begin to follow him. It's not joining a church, but it's giving your life to Christ. And if you feel like I'm talking directly to you right now, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit through me telling you He wants you to come and be close to God. So that's you. When we begin to sing this song, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair. I promise we won't embarrass you. But if you'll slip over to this cross, someone will pray with you and will give you some things to help you live the Christian life. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now. They're here for you if you need prayer. But most importantly, if you need to make a commitment to Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thank you for coming.